Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. I don't know if you've ever asked those questions or have heard those questions asked of you from time to time. You know, today as we, we kind of finish up this series that we've been doing on questions, I, I wanted to wrap it up by seeing if we could clear up some of the confusion when it comes to all the evil in our world today. And I want to do that by taking a look at this question, why is there evil and suffering? Why do I want to do that? Because it's a big, big question that seems to be out there today. It really is. In fact, those are some of the questions. But as you get in conversations with people, especially, I would say, people that are on the fence about if God's real or if he loves them, this is one of the things that they seem to bring up almost all the time. And so I want to take a look at this, and I wanted to start this discussion this morning by taking a look at part of the Bible where Jesus, the very Son of God himself, is face-to-face with evil, with some of the most intense evil that you can possibly imagine one person ever facing. And it's found in the text that Mike just read, Mark 15, verse 33 and 34. And again, to put this passage in context, I want to tell you what happened just prior to this verse that I'm going to read happening. Jesus had been betrayed by a friend. He had been condemned as guilty in the middle of the night in a mob court, even though he was innocent. Then due to political pressuring and posturing, he was sentenced to death by crucifixion. People that had lauded his entry into Jerusalem were screaming, crucify him, even though he had done nothing wrong even though they were going to release a mass murderer and an insurrectionist in his place. Crucify him, they yelled. He was sentenced to death by crucifixion, and then he was whipped savagely until he was bloody, and then the nails were driven in his hands and in his feet, and he was suspended between heaven and earth, hanging on a cross. That's what had happened directly before this scripture unfolds. And then it reads, When the sixth hour had come, darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour. So it was like noon to 3 p.m. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Any one of us might have cried out the same thing in the midst of that much evil, in the midst of that kind of consequence. And it wasn't just that. While he was on the cross, they were mocking him and ridiculing and and sharing all sorts of hatred with him. Now, if we leave the story right there, it would almost appear as if evil had triumphed over good, as if suffering and pain had had the final word in Jesus' life, and that they had won the day. But of course, we need to keep on reading, because there's good news. Because not only did Jesus endure crucifixion, and only did he face it and even have to die, but he was still able to be victorious in the end at his resurrection. The Bible tells us this in Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3. It says, We are fixing our eyes then upon Jesus, who for the joy set before him, that joy, the joy of being eternally with again with God on his right hand in heaven, the joy of spending now his eternity with some of us that would cling to him as their Savior and Lord. The joy set before him endured the cross because he knew that's what it would take. Consider then him who has endured, so that you may not grow weary or lose heart in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of the evil that comes upon you. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk about how we can face evil and suffering and the pain in our life and not just endure it, because, but get to a place where we emerge victoriously on the other side of it. 
how we can face it and not grow weary and not lose heart. Do you sometimes lose heart when you watch the news? Do you sometimes start worrying about stuff you cannot control at all? Do you sometimes lose heart at work when you see some of the inner office politics going on and see that nobody's doing anything about it? Do you lose heart in your neighborhoods when you see crime seemingly get more and more? Do you lose heart in the world as you look around and when politicians say that, well, terrorism is just now the new normal? Do you lose heart all the time? This is a big, big topic, and so I want to dive right in. And to do this, I want to tackle three big questions that I think people ask, at least me all the time, and, and probably you, that I think will give you perspective and then strength as you deal with these times in your life. The first question I want to look at is, why is there so much suffering and evil in the world? And I think when people ask that question, what they're really asking is, why didn't God just create a world that was perfect to begin with? Why wouldn't he just make a world that there wouldn't have to deal with all these issues anymore, where there wouldn't be so much pain and hurt and all those different things? So let me start just by giving you a, a very simple answer to that question. He did. The Bible gives us very clearly an explanation about creation and how it was back in the beginning and how everything was perfect but the man that God created, the woman that God created and put there in the garden, decided to tell God to shove off. And from that moment until now, the world has been reaping the repercussions of that. Now, is God responsible then for the evil? You know, because he created us with this ability to choose evil. Because he did, you know. He created us with a free will. For God wanted us to love him. And if we're going to love God, then we have to be able to choose to love God. He could, could have created us, I guess, to be, all be robots and machines, and we could have gone to God and said, I love you, you know. But it doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? But that wouldn't have been love because they wouldn't have had a choice. Nobody wants them to, somebody to love them by force. Can you imagine an arranged marriage and the, the person coming up to the altar is coming, kicking and screaming, and the dad's got him in a headlock to come up and marry you? Nobody wants that because it's only love if we choose to love someone, that we made the decision to love someone. And thus, if we have the ability to choose to love them, then we must also have the ability to choose not to love them. And people have been choosing to not love God for a long time. People have been choosing on their own to live a life on their own terms. People have been choosing to make decisions without his help from the very beginning. And the results of that are apparent. Who's then responsible for all the evil, all this evil that we see, the evil of broken families, brothers killing brothers, chaos, wickedness, war, all these different things that we see from time to time in the news that we experience in our own lives. Who's to blame for all those things? The reality is if we could separate these probably in two different piles, I think we would say that there is moral evil in the world and there is a natural evil in the world. The moral evil I think we understand because we see it on the news all the time. That's the evil of people against people and we know this and it represents about 95% of all the evil and suffering in the world today. But then there's also the natural evil and it's also very real and it's also in our world. It manifests itself in, evil, in natural disasters floods, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, and the like. Then there's the illnesses and the diseases, even plagues. There's times of famine. There are fires. There's danger of wild animals and the such. And if we go looking for answers as to why natural evil is in the world, it too we discover is a consequence of Adam and Eve's rebellion at the very beginning. And it too is called original sin. 
And ever since that time, the world has ceased to operate the way that God created it from the very beginning. Because that too was a consequence of the rebellion. But the truth of the matter is that most of the evil in the world is in the first pile. That's the evil that lurks in my heart and in your heart. It's the evil that people against people. And so who's responsible for all the evil in the world? Well, for honest, it falls right back on us. God gave us a choice to follow him or to pursue evil, and we've chosen the latter. And if so much of the evil in the world is because of people, then ultimately all evil is a result of original sin. How do people learn to do evil? I mean, do people have to learn evil? I mean, isn't there this natural propensity toward that direction anyway? I mean, think of babies. I need to do two baptisms today. It's going to be really cool. Um, but they're born with so much value, so much wonder, so much mystery. It's, it's just a, it's a cool, amazing thing that all of a sudden they come out and they're working and, and they love you and you love them. And it's just what it does to us as parents. It's, it's all incredible. And we, I want to acknowledge that. But, but how long do you have to watch a baby before you pick up on little hints of selfishness and self-centeredness? How long do you see that, the, that they want their own way and only their way, and they're willing to cry as long as it takes to get their own way? You put a toddler down in a room with his or her toy, and then you put a second toddler down with a new toy? How long before that first toddler wants to play with what the other toddler is playing with? You watch a baby or a child grow. How long until they learn to deceive or defy their parents? Where did my kids learn how to do that? Probably from your kids. That's where they learned it, right? God created a world where evil can exist because he gave us the freedom to choose him or to choose a different way, to choose evil or to choose good. But God didn't cause evil. To be fair, he grieves over it every single time. He sent his son over it to provide a way. But to be fair, he didn't cause any of it. Second question, is there an evil spirit at work in the world today? Is there a very personality of evil? And the answer to that question is very simply yes. The Bible describes a very real enemy. He goes by many names. You've heard him called Satan or the devil or Lucifer. The Bible describes him as trying to deceive and and to distort at all times. He promises pleasure but stings with pain. And so another name in the Bible that he's called is the father of lies. He lurks in the darkness in the hopes to tempt us and to trap us. So the Bible calls him the evil one. He tries to seduce us with a false front, things attractive, things seductive. But behind them is only death and destruction and damage. He's called an evil angel that appears often as an angel of light, but only to deceive and to destroy. In John 10, 10, Jesus calls him a thief. Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and to kill, and to destroy. It's an interesting question today because the studies say that that most people don't believe in hell or Satan exists. They believe in God and heaven, apparently, but just not the converse of that, which is always interesting to me. But we know all about his work. To be fair, we have felt his work in our lives, haven't we? It feels so much like seduction. It feels so much like attraction. It feels so much like temptation. We're drawn to things that somewhere down deep we believe we should not approach, and yet we feel drawn, and we wonder why. Who's at work in us at that moment? It's our enemy. In James 1, it says, Each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, and when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin has accomplished, it, 
is accomplished, it brings forth death. And what did Jesus say about the thief? He comes to kill and to destroy. That's what he wants to do. Is there a personality of real evil in the world? Yes, yes, there is. So maybe the final question is, why doesn't God then just stop the whole thing? Just stop there from being evil and suffering in the world? Why doesn't he just put an end to it once and for all? If God is all-powerful, why doesn't he just say no more? And so to answer that, first let me just say that I think God restrains evil and thwarts evil all the time in our lives. No telling how many times God has protected you from evil in ways that you have never seen. No telling how many times the unseen hand of God has provided you with enough strength or enough courage or enough insight to step away from evil and didn't even realize that it was him. I think he does this all the time. I do believe, though, the bigger question that gets asked is, why doesn't he just stop it completely? And my answer to that question is just this. Just because he hasn't doesn't mean he won't. In fact, the Bible assures us that a day is coming when evil will be put to a stop and the workers of wickedness will be stopped as well. In Proverbs eleven twenty one, Solomon writes, count on this. The wicked won't get off scot-free and God's loyal people will triumph. Or in Proverbs 24, 20, the evil will have no future. Their life will be snuffed out. And that's why there's a place called hell. That's why the Bible talks a lot about this place called hell. Jesus even acknowledges its existence. Heard about a young bride just moments before her wedding. She was crying. The bride's mom comes in and wants to know what's wrong. And she's a very religious girl, and she's sobbing. She says, Mom, I believe everything that the Bible teaches, but I just found out that Johnny, my fiancé, doesn't believe in hell. Future mother-in-law sat silently for a moment and then finally said, You marry him anyway, honey. We'll show him. <laughs> I like that. But, but it speaks to an interesting point, Right? Because again, statistically speaking, not many people today actually believe in hell. Which again, I think is weird to believe in one and not the other, but it is. But the Bible makes it very clear that there's a place where evildoers go and workers of wickedness will spend their eternity. And you say, okay, Mike, well, I'll buy into that, I'll accept that, but isn't that somewhere out there in the future? I mean, why doesn't God just put a stop to it right now? I get that question a lot. I think it's a good question. And the answer that Scripture gives us is that, honestly, some of you are the reason he doesn't. That's what the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9. It says this, God is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end because he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He's giving everyone space and time to change. I want you to think about that just for a little bit and then think about those in your life that haven't gotten to know God yet. And that God in his mercy and in his love and in his patience doesn't want to bring it to a screeching halt, at least, at least not yet. Because he's wanting some of you to have just a little bit more time to turn to him and be forgiven, to turn to him and find life. So that finally we would know what it is to be loved and forgiven and saved by an amazing God. And ultimately, that we might know what it is to spend our eternity is in heaven and not in hell. I think a cool way to conclude this message is Paul writes to us in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. He, he just says this. He says, so we're not giving up. I mean, how could we? And he's obviously because the ramifications of giving up would be devastating. 
Even though on the outside, it often looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These are hard times. But these hard times are small potatoes compared with the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. In other words, he's saying there's more here that meets the eye. The things we see here, see now, are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things we can't see will last forever. So often it's the perspective of God's truth that shows us Jesus and gives us the wisdom and the strength and the grace to endure all that life throws at us. And we endure so that one day we can be with Jesus forever. Is there a heaven? Is there a hell? Absolutely. That's why God sent us Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let us pray. Guys, we've gone through this series on questions. It's, I think, been helpful for many just to be able to articulate why it is we say we believe what we believe. It puts your word in context in a way that just allows us to understand that some of these answers to these questions that we get all the time are somewhat, somewhat simple. That God's laid them out very um, succinctly in the scriptures. Today, as we talk about evil, though, Lord, evil is one of those things that when it happens to us, it throws us up in, in a massive confusion. It, it creates faulty thinking. It, it creates fear. It creates anxiety of being found out. Father, it leads us into many dark places. Sometimes when evil happens, we even blame you, Lord, for allowing it to happen in our life, and then we so separate ourselves from the only one that can help us. Father, our prayer is in the midst of the stuff that comes at us in life that we might run to you, that we might see your promises and your truth clearly, and that we might, in the midst of that, find the strength to keep on keeping on, to keep on seeking, to keep on loving you, to keep on holding on to your promise, knowing that you will continue to work all things for the good of those who love him. Father, give us that passion and that strength and that grace today. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.